0: I'd ask that you would uh, turn with me to uh, Matthew. And we're in uh, Chapter uh, 27 and reading into Chapter 28. And you find that, uh, please stand. As we read the inspired word of God, may he speak to us this day. Chapter 27, verse 57 through 28, 15. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock and rolled the large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day... The day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that the deceiver said after three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, "You have a guard; go make it as secure as you know how." And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard they set a seal on the stone. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to be dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and another Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you were looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while he was asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews as is to this day. Let's pray. We thank you... uh, Lord Jesus, for your finished work that you bore on behalf of each one here. Thank you, Father, for the grace and and mercy you demonstrated in, in sending your Son. We ask, Lord, as you lift the words of the pages here that we might Come to a greater understanding. Pray for Chris as he delivers um, your word this morning. I pray that your spirit would have its way with each one of us in both hearing and filling out the call of your word this morning. Pray for the day. Pray for our eyes and ears to be open. We pray these things in your son's name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
1: <clears throat> well, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Matthew and as we we're getting close to being done with the book as we enter this section in this morning, Matthew 28, 1 through 15, let me just remind you of what has happened. Jesus was crucified on the cross on Friday. He was mocked for being the Son of God, mocked for being the Christ. And then in the last, right before he died, there was darkness. There was darkness over the whole land. And then As he died, there was an earthquake, the tombs were open, people were resurrected, and the supernatural events around Jesus' death were enough to convince centurion and those who were standing guard, the Roman centurion and those who were standing guard over the cross that this was indeed truly the Son of God. And then later that evening, Friday evening, Joseph at Arimathea, he asks Pilate for the body, and they put the body, he t- tends to, he washes the corpse, and he wraps it in linen clothes and uh, puts him in his own new tomb, and he seals a big heavy rock, would have taken multiple people to roll this thing over across the tomb door. The idea being that Jesus' body is going to decompose over the course of a year, And they're going to come back and gather the bones and put it into a bone box, an ossuary. In all of this, there's been witnesses. There's been Mary Magdalene and uh, at least one other Mary and, and more besides, but at least Mary Magdalene and this other Mary are the ones who have seen him die on the cross. And they've also seen him put into this tomb. On Saturday... Jesus' enemies, those who have arranged things, manipulated things politically, so that he, Pilate would crucify Jesus. They they had arranged for a guard to be over the tomb to 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 make sure that there's no possibility of a false resurrection. To make uh, to make. They, they'd heard Jesus' words that he was going to be raised from the dead, and they were afraid, well, maybe the disciples are going to come and steal him away in the night. Let's make sure, let's do all that we possibly can to guard against that. And so they do. They take a guard of Roman soldiers. They stand guard of the tomb. Evidently, there was some sort of sealing um, going on, which probably meant uh, indication that this don't touch this tomb under threat of Roman punishment, maybe some sort of wax over the, uh, the, over the entrance a little bit to, to show if there had been any tampering. So every, every precaution has been taken to make sure that the disciples can't come, can't roll back the tomb, the, 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 the tomb can't steal the body, can't make a false resurrection pronouncement. That was Saturday. It leads us up to our passage this morning, which is all about the resurrection of Jesus. And as we get into it, the question is, how do you respond to the resurrection of Jesus? How do you respond to it? How much do you think about the resurrection of Jesus as a Christian in your weekly life? Is it only a historical fact tacked on to the reality of the crucifixion? See, the cross, we proclaim the cross. The cross is central to what Jesus has accomplished for his people. That's where atonement for sin, for jesus people's sin was accomplished on the cross we saw that the father was there in his uh, in that that darkness that supernatural darkness around the cross uh, the cross we know that the father accepted jesus atonement but sometimes what we can do is focus on the cross and forget about the resurrection or it can only be a historical fact that's tacked on oh yeah that happened we do membership interviews here at Faith Bible Church, we ask for people to articulate the gospel. And one of the things that often needs prompting is, did he just stay dead? And some of that highlights just uh, sometimes how we can get so focused on the cross, which is good, but we need to remember the resurrection. Or maybe the resurrection is just a myth to you. Maybe that means for you, maybe it's flat-out denial. I don't believe that Jesus was risen again. I don't actually believe that. Or maybe there's functional denial. You see, you can not deny something with your words, but you can functionally deny it. It has no bearing on your life, or it's just kind of out there. It doesn't change you. Maybe another way, diagnostic question is to think about this. Do you speak about the resurrection with those around you? As you're presenting the gospel, that's what we're called to do as Christians, to proclaim Christ, our King, to those around us. We are subjects to the King, and we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim what our King has done for us. Do we proclaim the resurrection along with what we are saying? It comes back to this question. How do you, should you respond to the reports of the resurrection? The basis for our faith... is is rooted in the resurrection. And it's not just rooted in the resurrection, it's rooted in eyewitness reports faithfully recorded. None of us saw Jesus rise from the dead. Not even the women did. But they saw the empty tomb. They heard the report from the angel as we'll see it today. And based on those faithful eyewitness reports, that is the basis of our faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus has not been raised... uh, our faith is in vain. We might as well go home and do something else with our lives. And so the call for us this morning, the call for the, pa- the, the passage for us is this, to trust in the reports of Jesus' resurrection and worship him. Trust in the reports of Jesus' resurrection and worship him. Not only that it happened, but then what's the proper response? And so we're going to see two reports this morning. There's the report of the women at the tomb, and there's the report of the soldiers. Let's first look at the report of the women in verses 1 through 10. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, so the Sabbath was the previous day. That's the day on which the religious leaders have made their preparations to guard against a false resurrection. So, this is Sunday, first day of the week. After the Sabbath, Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, it's early. Uh, it's probably somewhere right between kind of dark and light out. It's very early morning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, this is important because Matthew has highlighted these two women in particular from the cross through to seeing Jesus. They saw Mary Magdalene and this other Mary, they saw Jesus die. They saw him be put in the tomb And now they're going back to the tomb. So there is continuity with these two particular witnesses to what has happened, Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, and now what is going to happen at the tomb. They're going to see the tomb. What does that mean? It's kind of a a vague um, description of what they're doing. But uh, Mark indicates to us that they're going back to do some more uh, preparations on the body. Um, and, And that's what they're hoping to. Matthew doesn't belabor that. He just says they're going back. They're heading back there. Verse 2, and behold, behold is an attention getter. It's, it's, it's drawing our attention to what happens. Something sudden happens. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, it's not very clear where at in the sequence does this earthquake happen. Does it happen while the women are coming? Does it happen when they come and then there's this earthquake? But what, is, what Matthew draws our attention to is there's this earthquake. Why? Um, you might think, oh, it's because the angel descended from heaven. Uh, you, but actually, the main verb in this sentence is the rolling back of the stone. And so the idea is, is this angel comes down, this messenger from heaven comes down, and there's this earthquake associated with him rolling back the stone in particular. Now, obviously, rolling back the stone is going to make a lot of noise, but it's not going to make a shaking like this. The last time we saw an earthquake like this was right after Jesus died. There was an earthquake and tombs were opened and the dead were resurrected And now a similar thing happens here. With the rolling back of this stone, there is an earthquake. Why? Because it's a marker of a supernatural event. Now, let me be clear. And the angel is not there. He's not letting Jesus out. Jesus is already gone. Jesus is already gone at this point. What is the angel doing then? He's opening the door so that other people can see the tomb is empty. Jesus left. And that marks an epic-turning supernatural event, hence the earthquake. Heaven is involved in what is happening here. And he sits on this stone. So I showed you pictures the last time we were gathered together of these stones. You've got like this big old disc that rolls in a track to, co- to cover up the entrance. Evidently, the, it, w- it would have taken multiple men to roll this big old heavy stone, even in, a, in its track, but this angel does it by himself, and then he sits on it. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. What, what is this? This is the idea of luminescence and purity, clean. This is a messenger from heaven, heaven which is pure, which is where all power dwells. what happens? Verse four, and for fear of him, the guards trembled. Actually, the word there for tremble is the same word for the earthquake. It's the same kind of root word. So they're shaking. They're shaking in their boots because of this angel for fear of him. It's a fearsome presence. He's he's luminescent. He's strong enough to roll back the stone. He's created an earthquake by doing it. The guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean they were unco- uh, unconscious? Does it mean they were incapacitated? At the very least, it means they're incapacitated. They're lying on their faces. They're, they're, uh, they're either playing dead or they're just in, flat out incapacitated by what has happened, whether conscious or unconscious. Sometimes that, that phrase is used in the Bible and the person's just incapacitated, but can still kind of hear and is aware of what's going on. Sometimes it just um, means they're, they're unconscious a, 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 at all. But the guards, the Roman guards, however many there were, four to six probably, they're all incapacitated. And then he turns, this angel turns to the women. Verse five, the angel said to the women. Actually, it's kind of interesting. It says the angel answered and said to the women. And They're like, well, wait, what question did they ask? Well, his response indicates what was going on in their hearts. Do not be afraid. This guy is this this is awe inspiring presence this this guy is fearful this messenger from the lord and everything surrounding it is a fearful situation and the guards are afraid they tremble they fall flat out these women are coming there and the angel says don't be afraid and it's really emphatic hey you don't be afraid you those guys had to be afraid but you don't you don't have to be afraid why not for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. What does the angel know? Uh, the angel knows that the women are there for, because they are devoted to Jesus. Even though they don't believe uh, in their behavior, it doesn't seem like... In none of the disciples was there an expectation that Jesus was going to rise again, nor with these women. But they have been witness, uh, witnesses to Jesus' death and his burial And they've been devoted to him. And they're seeking him again out of devotion, even though he's dead. And the angel says, you don't have to be afraid. Those guys did. Those Roman guards that were around the tomb, because they're aligned with the enemies of Jesus, but you don't. Because you are seeking him. You're seeking him out of devotion. You don't have to be afraid. But then here he brings the news. He is not here for he has risen, as he said. And we've seen all throughout Matthew, Jesus has predicted this over and over again, over again, not just once, but multiple times to his disciples, he has predicted that he was going to rise again. And so the angel just says, it's happened, just like he said he, it would. Now you might pause here for a minute and say, well, wait, 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 how does the angel know that jesus rose again you got to think about this no one no human being witnessed the resurrection no human being witnessed the resurrection the actual event of the resurrection like i said the angel came and he rolled away the stone but not to let jesus out jesus was already gone and so who knows what happened to jesus well a messenger of heaven The messenger of heaven, the messenger of the Lord, whom this angel is is acting as, he has heaven's perspective. He is just relaying heaven's perspective on this whole event. He's just saying, here's uh, here's God's perspective on all of this. Here's what, uh, what has happened. Who has a better perspective on all of what has happened and what happened at the tomb? God. And so the angel relays, he's not here he has risen. Literally, he was raised. Not that Jesus rose himself. The emphasis is that God raised him from the dead, just as Jesus said. And then he gives more evidence. Come see the place where he was lying. The angel invites them. Hey, I've opened up the tomb. Come in and see. Now, uh, Matthew doesn't record what, what they were supposed to see, right? There's kind of, uh, I showed you those pictures, there's kind of this be- stone bench in there where the body la- wrapped in linen shroud would have, been, would have been placed and left there. John says that um, the linen garments were still there, which would have eliminated any grave robbing, which was, grave robbing was a common offense in the time. But to go in and see, absol- to see the linen cloths lying there would have been proof that together with the angel's message, Jesus has been raised. See where he, he was lying. You saw him. You saw him placed in here. Now come take a look again and see the evidence that he is gone. And then there's a commission what are the women supposed to do? Then go quickly, so the angel's still talking here, he's talking to the women, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, see, I have told you. So they're supposed to hear the angel's declaration, but it's not supposed to end there. It's not supposed to even end with whether they believe it or not, that's supposed to end with them reporting The news to the disciples that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And if you want to see him, if you want to see Jesus raised from the dead, then you got to go to Galilee. Now, you might scratch your head a little bit and like, why why do they have to go to Galilee? Now, Jesus did say back in 26 32, after he was predicting uh, to his disciples, You're all going to fall away, uh, but um, after I'm raised, I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee. So Jesus has already set up the terms of this that, uh, yeah, you guys are going to fall away, disciples, which has happened. Uh, but then after I'm raised, uh, I'm going to, you can see me again after I go to Galilee. And that's just reiterated here. But you still might ask the question, but why Galilee? Why doesn't he just, why doesn't he show up in Jerusalem? And actually, we do know from the other gospel accounts, he does show up in Jerusalem. But why, why this business about traveling up to Galilee? Well, we'll see that next week and the implications of going back to Galilee. But for right now, the call to these women is, go ahead and pass on the news. Pass it on to the disciples so that they can can act on it. They can act on the report of these women. Now, the setup of this is, is... is um is very unique because in the ancient world the testimony of women wasn't held high if if you were to make up the resurrection accounts you would put men there at the tomb and have the angel speaking to men not women and so it testifies in all of this this isn't made up this is what actually happened now what do the women do They hear this report. They they haven't seen Jesus. They've seen an empty tomb. They've heard this heavenly messenger um, to speak to them this report. What's their response going to be? What's their reaction going to be? Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. What does that mean? It means they did what they were supposed to do. It means they believed the angel's report. It means they were being obedient. It's not just that. Wow, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Uh, Let's go do something else. No, they're obedient to do the commission that the angel had given them. What do we expect next in the story? We expect them to meet to keep running to meet the disciples and say, "Hey, Jesus has risen from the dead. We heard from this angel. They're obedient. They believe, and they have the right response." It's kind of interesting this this mixture of fear and great joy, and they're like, "How do fear and joy go together?" But think about what they, they, they believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. This has never happened before. And the ramifications of it are unexplained yet. It's happened, but it's momentous. It's epic shaping. We're excited about it. We're joyful about it because Jesus is alive again. But what does this all mean? And so you can understand the mingling of fear and joy. They believe they're going to do what they were told to do. But then what happens next is unexpected. Because like I said, what do we expect to happen? They're obedient. They're acting in faith. They're trusting in the angel's report. They're going off to go tell the disciples. And then something unexpected happens. Verse 9, and behold, again, that attention getter drawing us into something surprising. Jesus met them just kind of -of matter-of-factly says it. uh, The verb kind of indicates he went out to meet them. So Jesus intentionally intercepts them and says, greetings, which is basically our equivalent of hello. He just, you know, so these women are running, they're running to wherever the disciples are are, are gathered. They're on their way. They're obedient. They believe that Jesus has been raised. And then all of a sudden, Jesus kind of walks up and says, hi, it's, it's really understated and kind of comical and totally unexpected. Because what, are the, what did the uh, angel tell the women? Go tell his disciples. They believe they're doing that. But then Jesus shows up. Hello. <laughs> you can imagine what is happening. These women are running, and then they see Jesus and, you know, probably stumble and fall and stop dead in their tracks. There's probably a few seconds of silence. They're just standing there, probably staring. And then they do what is the only logical possible response. Given the fact that they saw Jesus die on the cross, they saw him buried, and now they see him right in front of them saying hi, as if nothing had happened. They came up, they approached him, and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Now the idea of worship here, it, it could denote truly worship of God, um, but it definitely re- represents homage, homage to the superior, to the king. This is the only logical response. They saw him die. They saw him buried. They've heard what Jesus has said this whole time. He has claimed to be the king. He was mocked on the cross for being the king. And now he's there, standing in front of them. This is the true king. The only one who's defeated death. What is the proper human response? You fall on your knees. The language of Psalm 2 is why we read it earlier this morning. Kiss the son do homage to the son, grasp his feet, kiss his feet, adore him as the true and the rightful king. Just imagine that, that the emotion of grabbing hold, seizing Jesus, not wanting to let go because he's there. He's the true king. He's, he's proved, he's vindicated everything that he, uh, that, that he said about himself, that the father said about him. The father has vindicated him took hold of his feet. They did homage to him. What is Jesus' response? Then Jesus said, don't be afraid. Again, why does he say don't be afraid? He sees that the women are afraid Again, it's that mixture of joy. And like, this is an epic shaping, unprecedented event. Yes, they, Jesus said all of these things, but it's real. It's right there. What are the ramifications of this? What does this mean? Jesus says, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Basically, that's a reiteration of what the angel said. Jesus doesn't really say anything new, right? The angel go, said, said to go report to the disciples. Uh, if you want to see Jesus, you got to go to Galilee. And even the women, right, they, they believe the report, and they were going to pass it on to the disciples, but they're really not expecting to see Jesus um, a- a- until they go to Galilee, maybe too. But in grace... In confirmation, he deigns to appear to them and reiterates the same message. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, the rest of the disciples, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Notice what Jesus calls his disciples, my brothers. Now, it's not the first time in Matthew that Jesus has called his disciples his family, Back in uh, chapter twelve and the end, he he t- you know Jesus uh, brothers and uh, the sisters they is uh, Mary and his brothers and sisters they come and want to speak with him and she says who's my brother who are my brothers and sisters and mother they're my disciples the people I'm closest to on earth are my disciples but what has happened in the intervening time? The last time that Jesus saw his disciples, or the last time the disciples saw Jesus, was in the garden, in the Gethsemane, and they fled. They ran away. They didn't show loyalty or devotion to Jesus. None of the twelve have. One of the twelve has betrayed him. There's Joseph of Arimathea has showed devotion, and these women who have showed devotion. But what about those who ran away? What about those who didn't show loyalty to Jesus? He still calls them, after all of this, my brothers. And he's telling the women, tell this to my brothers. Can you imagine the disciples hearing that? What does it mean? It means that they can draw near to Jesus. It means that he has forgiven them. It means that he's not holding a grudge against them he's ready to receive them as his closest family again despite their disloyalty despite their abandonment he is showing mercy and he's telling them if you if they want to see me go ahead to Galilee go ahead to Galilee now again the other gospel accounts Jesus does appear later on in the day he does appear to in Jerusalem to to the disciples but something very special is going to happen in galilee and basically what happens is that the 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 disciples if they want to see jesus in this profound way that matthew is highlighting they've got to believe the the reports of the women and they've got to act on it they've got to act on it they've got to act in faith not on as matthew highlights it and frames the situation Not on the basis of seeing Jesus themselves, but on the basis of reports. Eyewitness reports, reports from heaven, from the angel. They have to believe it, they have to act on it. And that's the call to Matthew's audience, and it's the call to us. We have not seen Jesus. Peter makes that clear in 1 Peter you've not seen him. So, what is the basis of our faith? The testimony of God's word. And the eyewitness reports of these women. Eyewitnesses reports of the women who saw the angel and saw Jesus. And just like the disciples, we need to respond in the same way. Believe the reports. Believe that they're factual. But if you, just believing that Jesus rose from the dead is not sufficient. You, there are people who believe that Jesus rose from the dead and are not disciples of Jesus. They believe it as a fact, But there's no devotion behind it. There's no allegiance behind it. It's not just believe the reports, but it's believe the reports and act on it. And act with the proper response that the women showed and the women had. What's the proper response? What's the right response to Jesus' resurrection? First, great joy. Great joy. The greatest enemy to humankind is death. Death. We understand that. Not just physical death, although that's part of it, but the death of being under God's judgment for eternity, the second death. But Jesus has conquered all of that. If Jesus died for his people's sins, you could conceive, well, maybe the sins are so heavy, so, uh, so damnable that uh, it's going to keep him dead. But Jesus is sufficient in his worth and his value that the father cleared all of his people's debt and he resurrected. It's, it's, it's the resurrection in, in one way to think about it, not the only way, but the one way to think about it, it's the receipt of saying paid in full. All the sins that for which God would judge his people, they're done. Death no longer has Dominion. Death no longer has fear behind it because Jesus has conquered it. Not just in some abstract sense, but in the sense that he has paid what made death fearful for his people, and the only possible response is great joy. Joy of freedom. Joy of relief. Joy of the hope of having Jesus and knowing God and being able to approach God. That's one of the pro- pieces of proper response to Jesus and his resurrection. What else did the women show? Submission and reverence. Submission and reverence. Just imagine if... I, I, Jesus is alive. And we see in Revelation that Jesus has a very exalted, um, majestic state. John his apostle, who sees him resurrected, uh, he falls at his feet as though dead. But let's, let's imagine Jesus as the women saw him. Yes, he's resurrected, but he's still got his wounds from the cross in his hands, in his side from where the spear per- pierced him, his feet, his ankles. He's alive. He's standing there how would you respond how would you respond if jesus stood like he stood before these women if he stood before you today what would you, what would your inclination be would it be would it be submission and reverence? Would you go to him and would you clasp him on the feet? Would you start kissing his feet out of love and submission and reverence because he's the true king? Is that where your heart is directed to? Because that's the proper response. Submission and reverence. You're my true king. You own me. My life is yours to do with as you please because of who you are and your, your awesomeness and your majesty. You have shown by rising from the dead that you are the true king. You are who you said you are. You, the Father has vindicated you. Is that your heart response? And if not, why not? If you were to think about that and think of that, that situation happening and you would you kind of shudder or you shrink back from the idea of clasping a guy's feet and kissing them. Why? What's holding you back? What's hindering you? What's the catch? What's the catch? Because if you're able to identify the catch, it shows where your heart is directed towards. It shows you what you're truly worshiping. and it can't hold a candle to Jesus. Get rid of it. Cast it aside and grasp Jesus, the living Christ, for who he is. Maybe you feel like, maybe you would shrink back if Jesus were to stand in that way because you think your sins are too great. There's no possible way. My sins are too great. They're too heinous. Jesus sees, you believe that the reality that, that the father and the son, they can see to the depths of your heart. They can see your thoughts and your thoughts are defiling before a holy God. And you think, God knows me. I believe that. And if Jesus were to stand here, I, I'd shrink back because I'm, I'm too great of a sinner. There's no possible way that Jesus would accept me. Well, look how he responds to the disciples who ran away from him. What does he call them? My brothers. You see, as Hebrews would say, Jesus is not ashamed to be call, calling vile sinners brothers and sisters. That's his heart disposition towards you. If you're going to come to him, you're going to come to him in reverence and faith and submission. It's the only way to come to Jesus. But you do not need to fear that your sins are too great to come to Jesus. Jesus will accept you. Now, he'll accept you on his terms, not yours but he will accept you. Look at how he treated his disciples in mercy, those who abandoned him. That's the report of the women. But there's another report here in this passage. There's the report of the guard. There's the report of the guard in verses 11 through 15. While they were going, see Jesus told them, he reiterated the, 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 the angel's commission, go tell my brothers And he reiterates that commission, and then the women go. They've received, they were already going. Jesus has confirmed it, he's given them grace to see him. He's reiterated the commission, and they go. While they were going, the women are going. Behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Now, not all of the guard went, there's probably four to six soldiers or so there we're not sure but there's enough to leave a couple people there at the tomb right um keep a couple people there and at least a couple are going into the city now why do they if these are roman soldiers why are they going to the chief priest well it's because that Pilate had kind of um put put uh, the the these roman guards under the chief priests as a detail right uh, the chief priests are kind of in charge of this, this guard. The, the chief priests directed this guard on how to, how to be, how to stand guard, how to seal the tomb so that no one could get near it for false resurrection accounts. Now their preparations, uh, we see the sequel to it because they did the best job they could to guard against false resurrection reports. And now their preparations are gonna come back to bite them. Some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Now, what does that mean? At the very least, the guards felt the earthquake. They saw the angel, and they saw the angel roll back the stone. Uh, we're not sure. You know, they became like dead men. So does that mean they heard what uh, the, the angel said to the women or not? It's unclear. But there's enough that has taken place to show that uh, s- heaven is involved in this. And um, uh, this, this tomb has been opened, and this Jesus guy uh, s- somehow... Uh, heaven has, uh, is, is, is supernatural creatures are saying that um, he's risen from the dead. So they know the truth, or at least they know enough of what's going on to know that this isn't a regular kind of ordinary everyday affair. And so they go to the chief priest, not only because the chief priests are in charge of this guard, but probably also to say, uh, there's supernatural stuff. There's this angel that was there. What do we do? So they believe it. I mean, they, the only reason it makes sense for them to go in, they, they believe what's taking place, and they just report what's taking place to the chief priest. What are the chief priests going to do? Verse 12, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, so this is like the, the chief priest, they tell the chief priest first, and then the elders come in, and this is a part of a gathering of the Sanhedrin, this, this council that had condemned Jesus, they take counsel, they form a plan, and here's what they're going to do. They gave sufficient money, a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers, and said, well, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, remember that the chief priests had put this guard there in the first place to make every possibility for a false resurrection to guard against the very thing they're saying is going to happen. So they've created their own problem. But the lie that they're going to... And they believe enough of what has happened. They believe what has happened implicitly. They believe it enough to put a lie out. They believe the truth enough to put a lie out. And uh, they're saying, okay, you guard, because you were there, you start spreading the word. The very thing we were afraid of actually happened. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. So the guards, the Roman guards have to say, we fell asleep which that was a very serious offense in the ancient world. Uh, very, uh, at the very least, you're going to get um, beaten and flogged within an inch of your life. Maybe you're going to get executed. Actually, in Acts, we see an example of uh, some of the apostles breaking out of prison, and Herod executes the guards because they failed in their job. So they could be executed for this by Pilate if they were actually asleep on the job. So four to six guys fell asleep. They all fell asleep at the same time. People are used to guard duty. That's unrealistic. The other thing that's a problem with the report is if they're all asleep, how do they know for sure that it's the disciples who stole the body? So this is the best they can cook up. Uh, It's not very good. Um, Hence the large sum of money. And the assur- whatever assurance this is worth in verse 14, and if this comes to the governor's ears, wait, they were asleep on the job. What are the chief priests saying? We'll satisfy him. We'll, we'll persuade him, and we'll keep you out of trouble." It's a very risky maneuver for the soldiers, hence the large sum of money. But they did it. They took the money and they did as they were directed. Now it's really interesting the word there for um, being directed. It's actually the word for being taught. And that's ironic because here we've got the leadership of Israel who's supposed to teach the people to do what is right. And they've already executed the Messiah, but they already hear, they're hearing reports of what he said was going to happen, what Jesus said was going to happen, happened. And they don't believe it. What's their strategy? Their strategy is to cover it up. And Matthew records that this story has been spread among the Jews to his day. Justin Martyr who lived, uh, it was operative of, of about uh, 150 AD. It was still a story that was being told among the Jews. This is the best story that you can to cover this up. But why? I mean, the, the chief priests uh, uh, implicitly acknowledged that something happened. The soldiers implicitly acknowledge that something happened. Why did they do this? The reason they do this is it's not about truth. It's about control. That's always the issue. It's not a knowledge problem it's a control problem. That's how we all start. We all start as wanting to rule our own lives, to have our authority, to have our place in life, to have our kingdom. And we don't want any king to hedge in on our territory. And so what do we do? The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, we suppress the truth because we don't want to yield control. We don't want to yield submission. We don't want anyone to rule our lives. We don't want Jesus to rule our lives. We'd rather lie to ourselves. We'd rather lie to others. We'd rather suppress the truth. Matthew here is discrediting the religious leaders. He's he's already shown in his gospel to his Jewish audience, don't listen to those guys because they are false shepherds. Listen to Jesus. Listen to his disciples. Attempts to explain away the resurrection collapse. There's good. There, we've had two centuries for people to come up and throw every argument against the resurrection possible, and all of them can be answered. Maybe not to your satisfaction, but they can be answered. But the real issue is not having enough information. The real issue is not having enough evidence. The real matter is, are you going to surrender or not? God raised Jesus from the grave, then Jesus is vindicated in all that he said. He is the rightful king. He demands your allegiance. He's not asking politely. He's demanding. He's commanding. The only one who has beaten death and the only proper response is repentant faith, allegiance, and worship. The response of the women, the response of his disciples, as we'll see as as history plays out. So the question to you this morning is, will you respond properly as the women or will you suppress the truth as the soldiers and religious leaders of Israel? Those are your two options. And as you believe the resurrection and as you surrender and submission and worship to Jesus as king, you have a commission, just like the women did. Report spread it out. Just like the guards were to spread their false report, the women were to go out and spread the true report to the disciples and ultimately through the disciples to the world that Jesus has risen. And that's part of your commission. To speak of the cross, to speak of Jesus' death for his people in their place, but not to stop there to say that he rose again and he is living today. He is living. He has ascended and is at the right hand of God today and demands your allegiance and worship. That is the only proper response to the resurrection. Trust in the reports of Jesus' resurrection and worship him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and uh, confess our unbelief. We confess our doubts. We confess our pride and our self-worship. And we confess uh, any number of things that would hinder us from coming to you. And we want to lay those aside. And we see that you have vindicated your son, Jesus. You vindicated him at the cross. You vindicated him after, through his resurrection. We believe that Jesus has died, was buried, risen again. We believe he has ascended. We believe that you, Lord Jesus, are at the right hand of the Father. At that right hand of the Father, you are observing this gathering of your church, your disciples who have sworn allegiance to you. And we come before you and we want that heart disposition of kneeling before you, kissing your feet, and grabbing hold of you in worship, because you are the only worthy one. Lord, help us to live that submission and allegiance, not only in word today on Sunday when it's easy, but the rest of the week when it's harder. Help us. Give us strength. We thank you for the forgiveness and the mercy you offer. Even though we are great sinners, you are a great Savior and a merciful and gracious God. Lord, if there are any here this morning that are stubborn and high-handed and will not submit, I pray that you would please, to glorify your name, bring them to a place of surrender. Lord, we ask that we would live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.